Good morning. So glad that you're here. This is Fellowship Church. My name is Kyle. And students, kids, I am thrilled that you joined us this morning. And so here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to ask you a couple questions to get started. All right, kids, I want you to pay attention. All right, have you ever played the game Would You Rather? Have you played that game before? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple questions, and here's what it's going to look like. I'm going to say, would you rather A or would you rather B? All right, so let's practice. Would you rather have a head twice the size of a normal head, or would you rather have a head smaller or half the size of a normal head? Now, don't shout it out, but I'm going to give you a chance to shout. So it's going to look like that, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the question, and kids, I want you to choose between A and B, and when I ask, I'm going to ask you to shout out your answer. Does that Everybody understand? Ooh. Okay, here we go. Number one. Okay, A. I want to fly across the country. I'm not sure I'm going to put that on and hold this at the same time. I'll just let you hook that up. Um, okay, I want to fly across the country, and I want to take a specific type of aircraft to get me over the ocean to London. Okay, kids, here are your options. One, am I going to fly in a jumbo jet? That's A, don't shout it out yet. Or B, am I going to fly in a motorized parachute? Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm asking you to shout out your answer on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm, I'm really, really fearful for some of you. I'm very fearful. Okay, let's try that. Obviously, that was a difficult one. You've got a car full of stuff, okay? You've got a car full of stuff, and you want to drive this car full of stuff across a valley. Okay, now don't shout it out yet. Will you drive this car full of stuff across this steel bridge or across this rope bridge? Don't shout it out yet. All right, on the count of three. A or B? One, two, three. Oh, my word. I am really scared. Okay, okay. All right. I see what you're doing here. I like what you're doing. But I'm pretty sure, I'm guaranteed, you will all answer the same for this one. You are on a cliff. You are dangling from a rope. And as you look up to the top of the cliff, there someone is holding the other end of the rope. It might be... This guy? Don't shout it out. Or on the other end of the rope, holding tightly, your life is dangling. This guy. <laughs> okay, on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Well, I'll tell you what. Normally, in this situation, we would just stop and pray because there's a lot of people in this room I'm really worried about. Because I guarantee you that baby is not holding you over the edge of a cliff. But I also wanted to find another reason to put that picture of that baby up, because that is the cutest baby in the world. So we look at these things, and while I would bet deep down inside, you would not want that baby to be holding you from a rope. You would say that you want somebody that's strong or powerful. If your life is dangling by a rope, you want somebody to hold on to you that's not going to let go. And truthfully, if you want to fly over the ocean, you don't want to be in a motorized parachute. You want to be in something strong where you can get up and walk around. That's got big jumbo jet engines, and of course, you do not want to drive a car across a rope bridge. Please don't drive a car 
across a rope bridge. Because if you're being honest, and those decisions really weren't decisions you had to make in your life, you would probably every single time pick the thing that's stronger or more powerful. You would pick the thing that you could put your trust in. I'm pretty sure you don't want to look up and see that baby playing with the other end of the rope while you're dangling from that cliff. Because truthfully, we, uh, we typically or naturally trust things that we consider to be good and powerful. I'll just stick with the hand up. We naturally trust things that are considered good and powerful. We don't want to be in a plane that sounds like it's, it's shaking over the ocean. We don't want to be on a bridge as we're crossing it, we're hearing it creak. We naturally put our trust in things that are good and that are powerful. And today, we are going to talk about a little baby that was born over 2,000 years ago. And there was a prophet, an ancient prophet 3,000 years ago that said there's going to be a baby born. And I'm telling you right now, he's going to be good and he's going to be powerful. As a matter of fact, he's going to be so good and so powerful, there will be a day where people will call him Mighty God. And so today, we're going to wrestle with this passage from Isaiah. Now, if you're a guest here with us this morning, you know this is unique. We have family and friends visiting. And uh, one of the things we do here at Fellowship is we care a lot about our next generation. We care about the kids. We care about the students. But one thing that we do here at Fellowship is we don't want to disciple your kids. We want to partner with you to disciple your kids. And so we do that in different ways. We have different resources that we give out. Uh, as a matter of fact, today, you'll be able to go out to the resource table and see what we have there for you. We do different ways to get uh, adults talking to their children, having conversations with their children, discipling their children. And one of the things that we want to do is we want our children to see us and worship. And so periodically we invite them into the room to join us as we worship so they can see what we do. Our goal is, is when they get old enough to choose whether they want to participate in our church or not, we want them to choose to join us. So parents, take a deep breath. If you're already sweating, it's okay. We've got clipboards and snacks in the back, but this is a part of discipleship, to sit with your child or your student and to show them what it looks like for you to worship Jesus. Before we begin this morning, would you pray with me? Father, thanks for these kids. Thanks for the gift that you've given them to lead us in worship. Lord, I pray that this morning that you'll take the worries of this world and deceitfulness of wealth off of our hearts and our minds that we can bring our worship to you. Lord, I pray that this worship is pleasing. God, I pray that this morning as we wrestle with the names that Isaiah said your son would be called, what does it look like for us to enter into this Advent season, this Christmas season, and knowing that Jesus is a mighty God? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started in Isaiah chapter 9, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I'll put it on the screen as well if you've got your iPads. Kids, watch your mom and dads. Find it. If you've got devices, kids, pull it up on your iPad as well. Um, Isaiah is the first prophet we see in the Old Testament listed. And Isaiah is a prophet in the time of Israel and Judah. And last week we set the stage for who Isaiah is. And Isaiah wrote these words to his people. And so Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read these words together. I'm going to read these words as you follow along. And um, we're going to look at what Isaiah was saying to the people of Judah in this time. Verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot to the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Merry Christmas. Then he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You've heard that passage before, right? We slap that on Christmas mugs and on wreaths, and it might even be hanging in your house right now with Christmas lights around it. And we look at this passage and we say, let's just quick give a brief history. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we took a little bit longer time to bring us from Abraham to Isaiah. But let me just give you what's happening in the time of Isaiah giving these words. Isaiah is a prophet of God. And a prophet of God speaks on God's behalf to his people. And Isaiah, this prophet, is telling his people, you need to put your attention back on Yahweh. You need to put your attention back on the true Hebrew God. Don't waver. Yet God's people continue to waver. God's people begin to put their attention on idols and false gods. And Isaiah and other prophets like Isaiah would come back and say, guys, 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 put your attention back on the true living God. And what happens is over time, Israel and Judah, the nation of Israel splits. And Israel goes north and Judah goes south. And as Isaiah is writing these words, these are very dark times for the people of Judah. You see, what's happening is is the nation of Israel above them in the northern kingdom, they've already been taken over by the enemy, the Assyrians. They've been put in bondage and caught and treated as slaves. And they're watching as the Babylonians are also growing in power. And all of these countries are beginning to come closer and closer to Judah. It's getting dark. It's scary. It's hopeless. And in this moment, the people of Judah know that it's just a matter of time before they too will be taken into captivity. And you can imagine this haze of cloud and fear hanging over the people of Judah. But amongst that fear, amongst that hopelessness, the prophet of God, Isaiah, comes and he shows us a glimmer of light. And he says, listen carefully to me, for unto us a child is born, a rescuer, someone who's going to come save us. We know that when Judah Judah is hearing this message, they're thinking about being saved from their earthly problems. But we know today, Isaiah is speaking way bigger than earthly problems. And this glimmer of hope comes through the sky. He says, there will be someone that will come. He will be a child. He will be a baby. And he will have these names. And he gives us those names. He says, he will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Isaiah is saying, we will call this warrior, we will call this baby, we will call this, the person who's going to come and rescue us, we are going to call him these four names. Now, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is is we know that this rescuer does come. And now where we're at, we can look back and see that rescuer was Jesus. The bad news is for Isaiah, it took another 700 years for Jesus to come. These words that we're reading here are ancient, 
Almost 3,000 years ago, these words were talking about a baby who would be born, who would be called a mighty God. Now, last week, we talked about Wonderful Counselor. This week, we're going to put our attention on Mighty God. We're going to put our attention on what does that mean. Now, if you missed last week, you can always catch up online. And if you missed next week, you can see what it was going to look like. But we're going to go through all four names of this baby over the Advent season. So Mighty God, we look at Mighty God. Mighty God, the word mighty comes from the ancient text of Hebrew, which is gibor, G-I-B-B-O-R. Now remember, kids, listen. The Bible that you're reading right now is in English. But when the Bible was originally written, it wasn't in English. It was, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a really difficult language to understand, a really rich language. And so what we had to do is we had to take the Hebrew language, and we had to look at those Hebrew words, and we had to translate them into English words that matched what we have today. And so the Hebrew word is gibor, G-I-B-B-O-R. Now, in our English language, that word would mean something like strong, powerful, great, warrior. You see, Isaiah was saying, a baby is going to be born unto us, and he is going to be a mighty warrior. He is going to be powerful. The other word God is is from the Hebrew word El. We see all over scripture. It just means the one true living God. And so what Isaiah is saying is, is, I know it feels dark, but there is a warrior, a good warrior, who's coming. He's coming. This baby is going to be a warrior. Ray Ortland says it this way, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. Isaiah is saying this child will be a powerful warrior. Have you ever thought about that when you look at the the nativity set set on your dining room table? That little baby sitting in the couple pieces of hay that you found at the bottom of the box and you threw it in there because you couldn't find anything else? That little baby doesn't stay a little baby. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says that little baby is a powerful warrior. And he is. And Isaiah was right. Because we know that baby to be Jesus. And that baby's the one that we celebrate this Christmas season. So then that would lead us to a second question. Why is it so necessary for that baby to be powerful, and what does that baby have power over, right? What does that baby have power over? What does that child have power over? And so this morning, I want to show four things that Jesus has power over in our lives. And kids, if you've got a piece of paper, I want you to write these four things down. You ready? Pull your clipboards out. You can write it on the back of your paper if you want while you're drawing a picture of my spiky hair, I'm sure. Here we go. Four things that Jesus has power over. Number one, Jesus has power over nature. Write that down. Jesus has power over nature. This baby, this little baby grows up to be who we know today as Jesus. Jesus, a mighty warrior. But did you know that Jesus has power over nature? Jesus has power over creation. As a matter of fact, we see all through Scripture, especially in the Gospels, where Jesus shows his control and his power over nature. We see him when he's fishing, and the disciples need fish to come to their nets. Jesus has the power to just get the fish to swim into the fishermen's nets. He was able to turn water into wine. He was able to take bread and break it. He was able to take sickness and germs that are in people's body and take them away. 
Jesus was able to walk on water. Jesus was able to calm the storm. You see, this baby grows up to be a powerful warrior, one that has power over all of nature and all of creation. Jesus has power over nature. But it's not that he just has power over it and can command it, but look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Kids, while we've been sitting here, how many times have you thought about how many times air has gone in and out of my lungs? Have you been counting? Have you been thinking about making sure that your heart keeps beating? Have you been thinking about uh, making sure that your eyes are blinking? Those things are very natural to us, right? Our body is just running. These things are just running inside of our body. But do you know that those things run inside your body because Jesus allows it to? Right now, as you take that air into your lungs, Jesus is sustaining nature. Jesus is sustaining our lives. He's the one that's making our heartbeats right now. Not only does Jesus have power over nature, but Jesus has power over all of creation, and Jesus has power over you and me. But it's more than that. It's not that he just has power of the physical things that we have on earth, but write this down. Jesus has power over sin. This baby that's to come, he is a powerful warrior that has power over sin. So we all, we all see how Jesus has power over creation. We saw him stop the storm. We saw him do things on earth that no one else could do because he is the one that sustains this planet. But it's more than just the physical. Jesus has power over the things in our hearts. And we all know this. Sin is when we tell God no. Sin is when we decide that we're going to do this on our own. Sin is when we say, God, I know that you're the king, but, and I see how you've laid this out for me, but I'm going to go a different way with my life. That's sin. That's internal. So things we can't see. Jesus has power over that. Now, when your mom and dad tell you to do something and you look at your mom and dad and say, Mom, I really like what you're saying there, but I'm going to go ahead and do this on my own, by myself, my own way. How does that go with your mom? Probably not real good, right? You don't say to dad, Dad, I know you told me to go clean my room, but I'm not going to do that. You don't do that, right? You, listen, you shouldn't do that. But when you do that, if your mom and dad are just, what do they do? They discipline you. You lose your device. You go to your room. Maybe you get a spanking. Why? Because your mom and dad are teaching you that the things they want you to do now as you grow up, the discipline and the headaches of life are going to get harder and harder. So while you lost your device for five minutes and you think your life is over, that's just a tiny consequence. But it's the same with God. When we say to God, God, we're going to do this thing our own way, thank you, God being loving and just also has to discipline us. And he has to discipline us through justice, through mercy, through love. And Paul tells us that that discipline is death. So the only way that we can clear the internal sin out of our hearts is for the consequence of death. But Jesus has power over our sin. Jesus has power over that sin. In Galatians, Paul says this, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. 
Jesus has power not only over the external things in our life, but also the internal things in our life. You realize that the only punishment or consequence for us turning our back on God is death. But Jesus has power over our sins. Jesus stepped into our place, and he takes power over sins. Now, if that is true, then that means that Jesus needs to step in our place and take our punishment. And if our punishment is death, that means Jesus needs to die. And so Isaiah was saying this, this child, he's going to be a mighty warrior, but he's going to die. Now, write this down. Jesus has power over death. Here's the good news to the story. The good news to the story is that Jesus has power over death. See, the truth is, is that exactly what we described. You and I, we turn our back on God, and we need a mighty warrior to come into our life and to rescue us from sin. And in that moment, Jesus has to step into our place, and that consequence for our sin is death. Therefore, Jesus has to die, and we know that Jesus died. We know that they took the nails, and they pierced his hands, and they hung him on a cross. We know that they whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. As a matter of fact, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, they wanted to make sure he was dead. So you know what they did? They shoved the spear into his belly. They wanted to make sure Jesus on that cross was dead. And so they take his lifeless body down. They put it in a tomb. They roll a rock in front of the hole in the tomb. And they put guards because they don't want anybody to try to steal his body but they want to make complete sure that Jesus' body is dead. And we all know what happens. It doesn't matter how many times you stab him. It doesn't matter how many times you pierce his hands with the nails. A mighty warrior cannot be held down. That rock could have been 10 times the size. They could have put 50 soldiers in front of there, and it doesn't matter because Jesus is a mighty warrior. And we know that Jesus has power over death, and he comes back to life. Romans 6 says this, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Isaiah was saying this baby is going to be a mighty warrior, and he is not going to just have power over nature. He's not going to just have power over sin, but he's going to have power over death. Even death can't stop this mighty warrior. And that's who this baby was that Isaiah was talking about 3,000 years ago. Finally, number four, Jesus has power to give life. Write that down. Jesus has power to give life. See, Isaiah was talking about this baby. He was talking about a mighty warrior, El Gibor. He's powerful. He's strong. And we realize now that nothing can hold Jesus back. Listen, sometimes in Sunday school, we give a picture of a Jesus that's kind of weak and frail. Listen to me, students, kids, the next time you're in Sunday school, if you see a picture of Jesus that's weak and frail, raise your hand and say, but wasn't Jesus a mighty warrior? And then your teacher will be upset, and then just tell them that I told you to say that. But it's not a frail, weak Jesus. We have this picture that he stayed a baby forever. We have this picture that he's weak and that people pushed him around. But you can't push a mighty warrior around who controls creation. You can't push a mighty warrior around who has power over sin and of death. And more than all of those things, Jesus has the power to give life.
He has the power to give life. One of my favorite verses from John is, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has the power to give you life. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, and you're still picturing this Jesus as a weak, frail person that remained a baby, you need to take that image out of your head. Instead, I want you to put a strong warrior uh, much like the one we saw that you really want to be holding the other end of that rope. And I want you to think about a king sitting on his throne. And this warrior sitting on his throne is looking down on us, and you would think a warrior that's big and strong and has power over all those things, you would think he might be scary. You would think we need to keep our distance. But Jesus is not like that. No, as a matter of fact, he's a warrior, but he says, I want you to come to me. Jesus isn't a pathetic Jesus that's knocking on the door of your heart saying, will you let me in? That's not Jesus. Jesus is sitting on a throne in his kingdom, and you and I get to be a part of his kingdom. That mighty warrior has invited you and I to go on adventure with him. We've been invited into his story. Christmas is about him coming into our world to show us who God is, that we may be a part of his kingdom. That's the kind of king that I want. I want to serve a king that's a mighty warrior, one that has power over creation, sin, death, and one that can give me life. Now, if you've never heard that before, you're probably asking, how is that even possible? How can Jesus have the power to give me life? Well, Jesus has the power to give us life because he takes the world that we're living for now and shows us the world we can be living for is so much greater. If the priorities in my life are making more money, that gets really boring and gets really laborious and gets really hard. And when I'm striving to have more power, I begin to get greedy and selfish. And when I try to, to work my way up the ladder, there's something inside of my heart that just wants more and more and more. And you know what that does? It takes away my life. It sucks me dry. It makes me tired. But Jesus says, he's come to give us life. When you live on a life where Jesus is your king, he says, you're enough. Your sins are forgiven, and you are welcome to come on an adventure to join his kingdom, the kingdom of a one true warrior. So what does this mean? Well, we've got two so what. Kids, I'm going to talk to you first. So what does this mean? If we really believe these things are true, if we really believe this about Jesus, it means this, that Jesus has the power to answer our prayers. Jesus has the power to answer our prayers. Jesus has the power to help us make good decisions in our life, and Jesus is worth following. He's not a pathetic, weak, frail man that's saying, come on, follow me. He is a mighty warrior, a king, saying, you are welcome to join me on this adventure. And kids, he is worth following. He is worth giving our life up for him. He's worth joining in him on an adventure. But it's not that he can just help us not that he can just answer our prayers so that he can be trusted or even help us make good decisions, but what it means is that he, we should submit to his authority. Jesus is our king, and we should submit to his authority. I want you to think about this Christmas when you're looking at the manger scene or the nativity. That baby Jesus grows into a mighty warrior, and we should submit to his authority. 
Now, parents, you're not off the hook. So what does it mean for you? Well, first of all, it means the same thing for you. It means the same thing for me. If I truly don't believe that Jesus is my king, it changes the way I look at him. All of a sudden, Jesus becomes this, this God that answers my prayers and gives me what I want. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a, a lifeline that we call on. Jesus is our king. He is worth us following. So this Christmas, we need to remember that we are serving a mighty warrior. And Isaiah was right. But not only does that mean we need to believe that for ourselves, but it also means that we need to press into our children and teach them who Jesus really is. We need to give them a real picture of who Jesus is. We need to disciple our kids to love Jesus. One of the things that we say here is, if we don't teach our children to love Jesus, the world will teach them not to. And so our goal as parents is from the day that they are born is that we teach them to love Jesus and to know who he is. And it's hard for us to teach them who Jesus is if we don't know who he is for ourselves. So my challenge for you, parents and disciple makers, is this. Who is Jesus to you this Christmas season? Is he still that weak, frail baby laying in a manger? Or is he your good and mighty warrior? The one that's rescued us from death and from our own sin. Now, one of the things we want to do is we want to partner with parents to disciple their kids. So this is so crucial for us. And what a better time this Christmas season for you to press into your children and teach them about who Jesus is than as we talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus everywhere. I mean, they're even talking about him in school in some places. Teach your kids who Jesus is. Press in. Tell them who Jesus is to you. Ask them questions. Read the Bible with them. Let them see that you're reading the Bible. Let them listen to you worship your king. Because the truth is, is if Jesus is just a weak, frail, ho-hum, set-off-to-the-side person in your life, there's a real good chance he's going to be the same thing to your kids. We need to teach our kids that Jesus is our Savior, our mighty warrior. Now, one tool that we're going to give you today is all of you kids who are here today, you get first dibs. When you leave, you're going to get a cake decorating kit. It's got the cake in there. It's got the icing in there. It's got the candles in there. It's got the happy birthday Jesus in there. It's all out there waiting for you. And what you're going to do is we're only going to take one per family, and we want you to take that bag, and we want you to go to your mom and dad, and we want you to say, hey, sometime this week, can we bake this cake together? And while we're baking this cake, kids, this is what I want you to say. I want you to say, mom, dad, will you tell me who Jesus is to you? Who's Jesus to you? Say, Mom, Dad, what's your favorite verse in Scripture? Mom, Dad, what's, what's a song that you love to worship Jesus to? So when you're baking that cake, now listen, you're not going to be able to do it today, all right? Because your family's very busy today. But they're going to find time for you. I promise you. They will find time. See, I took all you parents off the hook. You're already canceling plans. But when you're baking that cake with your parents, kids, I want you to ask them these questions. Mom, Dad, who is Jesus to you? Why, do we, why are we even supposed to love Jesus? I want you to ask those questions. And moms and dads, as you feel that tension in your heart of, oh my goodness, I better not screw that up, you know what this is? That's called discipleship. And all of us as parents together, we're going to trip through this thing as one big church. And I promise you, we're all going to screw up together. But if we can tell our kids who Jesus is, 
a mighty warrior in our lives, it will change the way they look at Christmas. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And here's an opportunity for us uh, as a church to worship together and for your kids to worship alongside of you. Kids, uh, it was a lot easier for us to hear you when you were on the stage, but now we really want to hear you join us in worship. But this Christmas season, I want you to think about this question. Who is Jesus to me? Is Jesus really my mighty warrior? Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for your son, the one whom which our lungs would collapse if he wasn't in our lives. Father, for your son who allows even gravity to keep us on the ground, the one who can stop the storm, the one who can break bread, the one who can call fish to do what he wants them to do, the one who stepped in our place and lived the life that we couldn't live and died a death that we deserved. Father, this Christmas Advent season, I just pray, Lord, that you give us the courage to see you and your son for who you really are. Father, that you sent your son and that he was a mighty warrior. God, we love you. We bring this worship to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.